good morning to you once again. It is, as you recognize, it's an, indeed an, just an honor and privilege to bow before our Lord together as His family. Be able to join in together in these wonderful songs. To be able to contemplate and think about our Lord and give Him our faith as we pray to Him. We're grateful that He has preserved for us the, the sacred Scriptures. Where would we be in this old dark world without the light of these Scriptures? We're looking forward in our worship here in just a little bit to be able to assemble around the, the table of our Lord and especially reflect upon how much He loves us and upon that time of both cruelty and hope in the cross of our Lord. We're thankful also that Jesus serves as our example, how much He has given to us, and we'll have the opportunity to give back to Him in a physical way in just a little while as well. Right now, let's focus on this part of worship. Focus on some scriptures together. The theme is decisions. Decisions this morning. Decisions. There's an Old Testament passage, Joel, in the book of Joel, the minor prophet Joel. Joel chapter 3 and verse 14. And the statement is, multitudes, multitudes find themselves in the valley of decision. Multitudes, multitudes find themselves in the valley of decision. Joel is actually speaking right down to our time. In fact, he's speaking very specifically to us. He's speaking to us about our lives now under Christ and also looking forward, looking to that judgment day. That judgment day. The judgment day will be the time when we will, we will reap the decisions that we make. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. Let's think about a few thoughts by way of introduction. You know, you know some... Some people just continually put off decisions. They see what is before them. They see what they should be, what they should do. But all, all the time, putting off decisions. Acts chapter 17 is an example of this. Paul in Athens bringing the gospel to, to many who were serving idols in those days. Acts 17.32, you see some of the responses uh, to the gospel, uh, some obeyed, but some said, many said, that we will hear thee again about this matter. We will hear thee again about this matter. Well, the thing is, they may or may not have that opportunity, but many are like that. I, I will hear about this again. I'll think about this tomorrow. I'll think about this at another time in my life. Some are constantly putting off decisions. Acts chapter 24 and verse 25 as well. Paul, this time standing before Felix and his wife Drusilla, and he reasoned before them concerning righteousness and, and self-control and judgment to come. And Felix said, uh, Paul, when I have a more convenient time, I will summon you again. Well, the time to obey the Lord, the time to obey the truth, is when we hear it and understand it, comprehend it, and are convicted by it. That is the time. And I get the idea that, 
that uh, Felix understood more of the gospel there than what he cared to admit. But instead of having the courage to, to think more about it, study more deeply about it, contemplate it further, and perhaps even obey and make a tremendous change in his life, he simply said, I'll hear about this again when I have a more convenient time. Oftentimes a convenient time doesn't come. And some, though, are constantly putting off decisions. But some of us also, are, we look to others to make our decisions for us. This is a, this is a habit also among us human beings. We, we want to attach ourselves to somebody and in sort of a lazy way, we just say, well, whatever they think, I'm going to think. Whatever they do, I'm going to do. Often people, especially when it comes to religion, they're looking all the time for a spiritual superstar or some spiritual wise person and they want to just follow that person. I wonder in 1 Corinthians 1 verses 10 to 13 if that wasn't happening some in the church in Corinth when some were saying, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas. And Paul was really disturbed about how that was going. And he said, you need to be following Christ, of course. But I just wonder if, if perhaps they had looked to Apollos or some of the others as spiritual superstars. And instead of making decisions for themselves, they just said, well, I'm going to let somebody else make the decision for me. Joshua said in Joshua 24:15, as you know, he says, choose you this day. Choose ye this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will, we will serve the Lord. And so our, our decisions must be very individual, very personal. And some will never make a decision. Some, this may describe more of our society today than, than anything else, but some just will not make a decision. Well, we live, we have a, a generation or two around us now, and you just, you just have to call them the maybe or maybe not generation. Because when it comes to decisions, that's, what, that's how they respond every time. And you know what? I didn't have to do any research to think about this particular part. Okay? Because I hear it all the time. And maybe, maybe not. Uh, the answer is yes, but don't hold me to it. Or yes, but I'm not going to make any promises. Okay? That, that's a lot of what we are hearing nowadays. And one of the reasons for that is that people... Uh, uh, they don't want to be blamed. They don't want to stick their neck out. And if something goes wrong or some kind of negative or unpleasant response comes to their decision, they don't want to be blamed for it. It's, it's a, you can't blame me society. You can't blame me. So I'm just going to not make a decision. It's not, I'm going to at least appear not to make any decisions before our Lord. Elijah talk to his people back in 1 Kings 18 there, that great contest before Mount Carmel. He says, how long will you keep limping between the two sides? If the Lord be God, serve Him. If, if Baal is God, serve Him. But don't be limping between the two sides. There's some in our society just uh, cannot make a decision if their life depended on it. You know, Jesus when he was sending his message to Laodicea in Revelation 3, verses 14 and 17. He was, he was addressing this idea. He was looking at the members there, and they were neither cold nor hot. Rather, they were lukewarm. 
And it makes you want to just spew them out of, out of his mouth, uh, he said. It, may, it makes Jesus sick. Jesus has a tremendous disdain toward indecisiveness. You know, someone once said, my problem may be that I'm indecisive, but I'm not very sure about that or not. Let us discuss uh, two big criteria in making good decisions uh, for our time this morning. Two big criteria that helps us make uh, the decisions God would help us, uh, want us to make. First criteria is to choose Scripture over sin. To choose Scripture over sin. Sin and the thought of sin and the reality of sin must be within our decision-making Process. It must be there because it's so huge and, and it's so uh, consequential. Right. And you know what sin is. Sin is doing what God has said not do. And sin is also not doing what God says to do. James 4 verse 17, To him who knows to, to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. Sin is playing a very big part. It ought to play a big part in the decisions uh, that we make. To help us think about this, think about how destructive sin is. In choosing Scripture over sin, think about how destructive sin really is. Sin, for instance, sin will destroy your emotions. It will destroy us emotionally. It really will. Brother Ken was discussing with the teens this morning about worry and peace. And Paul says in, in Philippians 4, 6, and 7 that if we will worry about nothing but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, letting our requests be made known to God, then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall guard our hearts and our minds. But if we are in the world, and if we are allowing sin to come in our lives, then we're not going to be able to know that peace. It says there in Philippians 4, 7, that peace surpasses all understanding. Only the Lord can give us the peace that we need. And anything that is not with Scripture and involves sin, then will cause us to be destroyed in our emotions. In our emotions. There's a statement that you'll want to look at back in Isaiah 48 and verse 22. And, and the prophet, God through the prophet, is, is letting uh, God's people know that if they had just paid attention to the Lord, then much of the captivity and, and punishment that was coming their way and was already beginning upon them, uh, they could have avoided, avoided all that. But in Isaiah uh, 48 and 22, it's almost like a summary statement. He says... He says, the wicked have no peace. There is no peace with the wicked. It will always be that way. Isaiah 48, 22. Be sure you, you bracket that. Underscore that. There is no peace with the wicked. Sin will destroy us emotionally. We remember reading in Matthew 27, and Judas comes with those 30 pieces of silver and throws it down at the priest's feet. And he says, I have sinned and I have Betrayed innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? He went out and hung himself. It, sin destroyed him emotionally. Sin will also destroy our mind. 
It will destroy our mind. Right down into our conscience, sin will destroy our mind. You, re, you recall reading 1 Timothy 4 and verse 2, how that some have a conscience that's been seared as with a hot iron. That's the hardening of the conscience. The hardening of the mind. Okay. Uh, when they take a hot iron and, and they brand an animal, that part of the animal's skin becomes very insensitive. Okay. And sin will cause our hearts to be insensitive to good things like, like Scripture and, and, and like good people and good Christian people. But especially, sin can cause our hearts to, to not respond to, to the very best of life which is found in Scripture. We must choose Scripture over sin. Sin can destroy our minds. We often think about Jesus hanging on the cross, and we should. That should be... Just a constant thought in our mind. We, we think about it, we think about those two thieves. One thief, he repents right there with his knowledge of Jesus and speaks to Jesus and repents. But what about the other thief who goes into eternity without repenting? Think about it. Think about how that sin had destroyed his mind and his conscience. Think about what that thief is enduring there. And then think about how he would not change his mind. Think about how excruciating the pain was for that rebellious thief. He was suffering the cross just like, physically at least, just like Jesus. Physically, not emotionally. But physically, just like Jesus, he had, a, he had excruciating physical pain. And yet, that would not change his mind. Also, he had heard the conversation between Jesus and the thief that does repent. And so, he has knowledge of Jesus the Savior. But that would not change his mind. And then, this rebellious thief is, is also... Without a shadow of doubt, he is about to die. He is about to draw his last breath. This is his last day on earth, and yet he still would not repent. He had the opportunity, like the other thief, to repent, and he still would not do it. You see how sin will destroy our minds, our heart, our conscience. Sin will also destroy our homes. We want to choose Scripture over sin, and if we are, then we've got to realize just how destructive sin is. It'll destroy our homes. One example I think of is Genesis 19, when God brought He brought His punishment upon Sodom and Gomorrah. That, that, that punishment came related to the home. This, these homosexual and lesbians of Sodom and Gomorrah, they, they received the, the wrath of God. But more than that, you remember that God brought Lot and his daughters out of Sodom. But as has been said so many times by so many capable teachers of the word, God brought them out of Sodom, but Sodom stayed within them. When we come to Christ, we want to come out of the world, and we want the world to come out of us. Sodom stayed within the, the daughters of, 
of Lot because if you read there in Genesis 19 verse 30 and onward, you see that the daughters of Lot got him drunk and had actual uh, intimate relations with her father. Very, very evil, gross thing to happen. But look, look what sin did uh, to their home. Sin will destroy our home. Of course, sin will destroy the Lord's church if we, if we let it. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul is, is again uh, addressing a man there in the church of Corinth who had done wrong. And he urged the church uh, to address this man's problem. And then Paul makes this statement. He says, you know, a little leaven leavens uh, the whole lump. In other words... This little sin, is, at least that's how the Corinthians were looking at it. They were puffed up about it. This little sin could grow and, and actually have influence and destroy uh, the whole church. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. But mainly here, sin will destroy our relationship with God. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 Sin will separate us from God. But the good news is that when we come to the Lord, then the destructive nature begins to fade away. Coming to the Lord involves repentance. Just think about that. To repent is to turn away and stop doing sin. Well, the less sin we have in our lives, then the less destructive nature, the less of the destruction of sin that's going to be in our lives, and then the better off we're going to be emotionally. So, you know, Acts 2.38, Peter's instruction to the sinners were, repent, repent, turn, stop doing your wrong. And just, just doing that part and continuing repenting and turning from sin will build us up emotionally. A lot, many of the emotional complexes that people have in life gets right back down to their guilt. And the only one, as we said a moment ago, the peace that passes understanding, only the Lord can bring the peace that we need. Only the Lord, only the Lord can take care of our guilt. So we repent of our sins. Stop doing the sins. Stop loving the sins. We become dead to sin. We become alive to God. And then we're baptized into Christ, Peter says, Acts 2.38. That brings forgiveness. It brings forgiveness. That, that washes away not only our sins, but also resolves us of the guilt. So, one criteria in making good decisions is to choose Scripture over sin. Scripture over sin. Let's mention a second criteria this morning. And that is to choose God over the world. Choose God over the world. The world wants to squeeze us into its mold. The world has a certain way of living. And one of the first fundamental ideals we must get in our minds to be able to live faithfully for the Lord is to understand the way of the world and the way of the Lord will never be the same. They will always be in opposition. But the world will continually 
the devil through the world will continually try to take us and squeeze us into its own little mold, its own little pattern. Romans 12 and verse 2, you remember, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You remember John saying in 1 John 2, uh, 15 through 17, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. All that's in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, they are of the world and not of the Father. Ephesians 5 and verse 11 Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Rather, uh, reprove them. And there are many such like passages that you know of, but again and again. Turn over with me to 2 Corinthians 6 for just a half a second here. 2 Corinthians 6, and notice Paul's instruction about the world there. Reading here in... Beginning in verse 2 Corinthians 6 and 16. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them. I will walk among them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be to you a father And you shall be to me as sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. Since then we have these promises. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1. Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness uh, to perfection uh, in the fear of the Lord. The world wants to squeeze us into its mold. We must choose God over the world. Let me... Let me remind us of some situations when we choose the world over God. Let me remind us of some situations, of some areas in which we end up choosing the world over God. When we have a materialistic approach to life, we are choosing the world over God. Materialistic. In other words... When we are all wrapped up in our possessions, in our things, in things, in possessions, you don't have to have possessions to be wrapped up in them. You can desire them. You can wish for them. You can dream for them. When we are wrapped up in our possessions, then we are choosing the world over God. Jesus once talked about this, Luke chapter 12 and verse 15. He said, A man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. And you remember he gave a parable to illustrate that afterwards. But a man's life consists not in the things, in the abundance of the things which he possesses. Paul follows up with this in 1 Timothy 6, 17. He charges the rich in this world. And we all, I think we would all admit that most of us walking around are rich compared to to the majority of the rest of this world. He charges the rich in this world that they put not their trust in the uncertainty of riches, but put their trust in God, who gives us all things uh, to enjoy. So whenever we have a materialistic approach to life, then we are choosing the world uh, over God. And also, when we have, we just call it recreation. Recreation. When When we have ungodly recreation in our lives, we are choosing the world over God. Recreation is not bad in itself, 
You know, Mark chapter 6, 31, Jesus told his disciples to come away with him for a little while and rest. We need rest. We need, we need things that will, in a wholesome way, recreate us, will help us to, to regain our energy, both emotionally and physically. But the world will take that to a great extreme. And they will begin to encourage us to have recreation that is not fit for us. It's not fit for Christians. It's not fit uh, for anyone. It's just sinful. Uh, such things as, as dancing, such things as immodesty, such things as uh, immodest swimming, such things as, uh, as pornography, such things as gambling, all such things, uh, fornication, sexual immorality of, of anything, anything that, that the devil would say, here's an escape for you, but it's also against God. Don't worry about that. It's against God. It's something you need, so therefore it's an escape for you. Anything along those lines, then uh, the world wants us to squeeze us, squeeze us into that pattern, uh, but we must say no to that. But when we choose ungodly recreation, we are choosing the world over over God. When our priorities do not have God in the first place in our lives, then we are choosing the world over God. God has always demanded first place. We can go back to the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. I'm a jealous God. God is always, it's, it's His history. He will have first and foremost place in our lives or He will have nothing. No man can serve two masters, Jesus said, Matthew 6, 24. He will either love the one, hold to the other, or vice versa. You cannot serve God and mammon, he says. God wants first place or he will have no place in our lives. We seek him first, Matthew chapter 6 and verse uh, number 33 uh, says. And it, we never get tired of that verse because it, it's something that comes home to us. It's something we need it's a powerful verse that helps us to resist the ways of Satan. You know, oftentimes what plays out in our life is, is this and then God. The mindset of several of us who want to follow God, but we haven't gotten there yet because there's always something and then God. It's, it, there's our, our job and then God. Or, you know, there's our recreation and then God. You know, there's our family and then God. You just, just, you draw the blank and then put God there. It, there's something and then God. Okay. But actually, there should be no blank there. It should be God. God first. When we, when our, our priorities are not arranged in that way, then uh, we are choosing the world over God. What about our conversations? Moms and dads, husbands and wives, grandma and, grandma and grandpas, what about our conversations? Sometimes it's, it's not just it's, just not, it's not just outright sin that causes us to choose the world. Sometimes it's just a lack of spiritual things. 
Go back for a moment in, in, in regard to recreation. Sometimes the recreation we choose in itself is not ungodly. Okay. But we're choosing that recreation all the time where there's no room or space for spiritual things. Okay. So when it comes to our conversation, how much of our conversation at home, how much of our conversation among our friends is spiritual in nature? How many people leave church and, and honestly and sincerely discuss the scripture that has been mentioned at church? Or have, honestly and sincerely, with an open heart, discuss the songs that, have, that were led on that day, the songs we were involved in on that day? There's so much about church and so much about God, so much about scripture, that that can really just fill much of of our conversations in life. It's, it's kind of a good measurement, if you will, to, to see just how worldly are we becoming. How worldly are we becoming? Now, what does our conversation say about us? And so sometimes our conversations show us that we're choosing the world over God. And also, if our approach to, to marriage and family is not Bible-based, then we're choosing the world over God. Let me put on the screen here some questions that will help us hopefully. When it comes to recreation, for example, if I want to know am I am I, am I doing something that's not right? Okay. We might ask ourselves how does this, what I'm doing, how does this affect my influence? How does this affect my influence? Whether, you know, that ought to stop all drinking, that question. That, that ought to stop all sin. How, how does this affect my influence? But see, it starts with, why, why am I here on this earth? You know, what, what's my, my purpose on this earth? If I'm following God, my purpose on this earth is, is to bring glory to, to Christ. Okay. Let my light so shine, Matthew 5, 16, that others may see and, and glorify uh, the Father in heaven. How does this affect my influence? And then a second question in regard to our recreation would be, you know, would I want to be doing this, whatever this is? Just fill in the blank. Would I want to be doing this if Jesus comes right then and now, most of us want to go to heaven. Most of us want to, want to be right. Most of us intend to be right with the Lord when He comes again. Or whenever it's time for us to leave this earth. I would say the majority of people intend to be right with God. The thing is, the devil has a way of helping us to put off being right with God. And of course, we don't know when Jesus comes. We don't know when He's coming again. When will that day be when we meet Him in the air? I would that it would be just today. Just come, Lord. But we think about it like Paul also in Philippians 1. He said, I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better 
nevertheless to abide in the flesh is more needful for other people. And so that's the proper way of looking at it. But either way, if the Lord comes today, great. If He doesn't, great because it gives us more time to influence for others. But what if Jesus comes today? What if He came when I was doing or not doing whatever it is I'm doing or not doing? And then these questions will help us in regard to choosing God over the world. Which is more important? The outward man or the inward man? We, remember, we know that Paul addresses this in 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18. He says, our outward, our outward man is perishing, but our inward man is renewed day by day. We look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. The things which are seen are temporary. Things which are not seen are eternal. Which is more important, the outward or the inward man? Which is more important, growing old physically or growing stronger spiritually? Which is more important? Where are my thoughts? Where are the most of my thoughts when it comes to this question? Which is more important, growing old physically or growing stronger spiritually? Which is more important, lost souls or lost money? Which is more important, lost souls or lost health? Which is more important? And then add to that, which is more important, heavenly or earthly investments? Why don't we say investments? You remember Jesus says in Matthew 6, 19, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth. Okay. Going back to that materialistic, being wrapped up in your possessions uh, type of approach to life, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth where moths moth and rust does corrupt and where thieves can break through and steal, but rather lay yourselves up uh, treasures in heaven. So what's more important, earthly or heavenly investments? What's more important, physical attractiveness or beauty of holiness? Which is more important? Which is more important, the hardening of the arteries or the hardening of the heart? We don't want either one to happen. Which is more important? We want to stop the hardening of the heart first. First. Our, our drive every day is that our hearts would be open to the Lord. In Acts chapter 7, when Stephen was addressing the Jews of his day, it got him stoned. But he called those people. He, he says, you are uncircumcised in your heart and your ears. In other words, they had gotten to a point where they could no longer hear the truth. They could, they could no longer understand it. They could not comprehend it. They were at that point. And they proved it by stoning a godly man like Stephen. Which is more important? We will end our discussion this morning with a reference to Deuteronomy 30. The whole paragraph there, there from verses 11 to 20 is, is powerful words. From Moses to the generation who would get to go in and, and inherit the promised land, the land of Canaan. Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. Behold, I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, Choose life.
choose life. That rings true for us today as well. God is sitting before us life and death. And He's earnestly, everything He's done is for us to choose life. Choose life. There are three types of death mentioned in the Bible. There's physical death, Hebrews 9, 27. It's appointed a man once to die and after this to judgment. There's physical death. But there's also spiritual death. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. You are dead in your trespasses and sins. But then there is eternal death. The book of Revelation often calls this the second death. The second death. There is something a lot worse than dying physically. That is spiritual death that leads to eternal death. Behold, I set before you life and death. The Lord says, will you choose life? Will you choose life? And let's think about these words as we stand together right now and sing this good song. Okay.